Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. It has become hard to imagine everyday life without upheaval. With devastated economies and the call for social justice around the world, how do brands move forward? GFK recently brought together a panel of thought leaders and industry observers to consider where brands of all kinds go from here. In this episode of Thinking Ahead, we give you an audio version of the recent GFK webinar, Taking Brands to the Next Level, Activism, Anxiety, and the New Consumer Marketplace. To see the full version, including visuals and more data from GFK's Consumer Pulse Study and Consumer Life Data, please click the link in the description. Joining us in this session is Ad Ages' Jack Neff, brand strategist Mark Somnolet, and GFK's Stacey Barrick and Rachel Bonsignor. Joining as moderator is fellow Thinking Ahead host, David Stanton. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To start the discussion, just looking at the landscape right now, you know, are consumers starting to feel more confident? Do they feel they see the light at the end of the tunnel? Or uh, is being tentative uh, more their overall mindset? Mark, did you have any thoughts on that? Sure, absolutely. Um, so without being flippant, you know, when you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you never know if it's positive or negative. But, you know, the, the, the key is that people are still very anxious, regardless of how they feel about, you know, what is going on, which crisis impacts them the most or which crises impact them the most, uh, they're anxious. And, and in a world where people are anxious, they're looking for support. They're looking for uh, support from credible areas. Uh, and uh, as, uh, as Rachel just mentioned, maybe we don't have the credibility in some of our governmental let's see, uh, authorities and, and whatever, but brands at the end of the day are supposed to be transparent, authentic, they're there. They're not always, and they haven't always been. But this is an opportunity today for for brands to help by establishing some of that authenticity, in particular, being true to brand purpose. And I know we'll talk more about this, but if you have a well-established brand purpose today, then you have a much greater opportunity to actually help uh, consumers along the way. And it's true for, you know, to, to take it beyond brand, it's true for companies uh, as well. Uh, and obviously the world of CSR is becoming now pervasive. And it's, you know, there's so many stakeholders. It's not just about consumers now. It's about, of course, everybody working for the company, for the organizations. Uh, it's all of us. And, and so we all have a say and we're all anxious all at the same time. And this is where that authenticity is so critically important. Another trend that we had been tracking for a while, too, was this idea that people like when brands take a stand, but it can't be it can't feel random. Right. It has to feel strategic. It has to feel like it makes sense for who your company is, what you provide to consumers, what you stand for already. It can't feel disparate from that. Jack, did you have any thoughts on that topic? Yeah, I mean, in terms of taking a stand in general, there's been a lot more advertising around COVID-19 and pandemic issues than there has been around Black Lives Matter and racial injustice issues overall. There's been a lot of communication 
about racial injustice from social accounts and media statements, but not so much advertising. The pandemic front, uh, I saw some data earlier in the week that suggested that 27% of new ads in North America dealt with pandemic issues during the pandemic, which is, is huge. It's it's about single digits in other parts of the world. I think there's a reason for that probably in that brands are a lot more cautious or afraid of taking stands on racial issues and probably with some justification and as much as some brands that have come out in support of Black Lives Matter in um, social media have been quickly taken to task over things that they've done in the past or brands that they have in other parts of the world or last week you saw Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's, the cream of wheat guy, they're all being reviewed as as brands. L'Oreal, when they took a stand, was called out by a model who they had fired a year earlier. And uh, it, it, it's, it's much more dangerous territory for brands. And beyond that, a lot of people will look at their staffing levels and what they've, they've done in terms of their own diversity efforts. And it's, you know, you're taking a risk on that issue, whereas you know, everybody's against the pandemic in some way. Yeah, we had a, a question actually about measuring the business impact of taking a stance. And I guess that sort of brings up the idea of how do we or how do brands judge or weigh the value of taking a stand, you know, being more socially conscious versus the risks, which are also pretty palpable. Mark, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Rachel, I think you mentioned earlier about being a force uh, for good. And uh, in fact, right now, you know, this week is the uh, the Lions Live where you have, it's basically a branding and advertising fest uh, that goes on uh, daily. And this is essentially their entire focus this week, which makes sense, which is what can brands say today? Because if you are quiet, then you are complacent. Uh, worse, you are actually perhaps on the wrong side. And so if you think about, you know, trying to measure the impact, you know, it, it becomes today, are you relevant in my life, regardless of who I am and what my life is? Are you relevant to me? Are you part and parcel of the things that matter to me? And this is important. You know, if you think about what is the place of brands, you know, I'll give you the example of Colgate toothpaste, considering I spent some time there. You know, if you spend four minutes a day, that would be wonderful uh, brushing your teeth. You know, how much interaction do you actually have with the brand during that time? Think about it. You know, how many seconds do you perhaps see the tube of toothpaste and does that brand register? And, and so, you know, brands, you know, spend such a small amount of time with each individual consumer, how can they really be that force for good? And, and if they are, then how do you track that uh, appropriately? It's, and so it comes back again, as I mentioned before, if a brand has a real purpose and in, in a world of anxiety, you know, the example I just mentioned of Colgate is giving the reason the, the world reasons to smile. All of a sudden, you can sort of see how that brand purpose is absolutely apt to coming back and talking about doing things well for people and giving them those reasons uh, to smile. That's important. Now, how do you measure that? Uh, that that's going to be it's going to take some time, I think, to really figure out how people are reacting emotionally and what is their, uh, you know, are they changing their attitudes towards brands uh, over time that either are talking or not talking? I mean, one of the things we saw for sure is that people want their own companies to do something. And that doesn't have to be putting out an ad. That doesn't have to be a big dramatic gesture but it has to be something for them to acknowledge that they've heard that this is something people care about 
that can't be ignored. And that even if the answer is, I don't know everything I'm going to do, but now I'm going to try to understand and listen and figure out my course moving forward. I think starting internally and listening to your employees and then moving out and talking to your customers is really important as well in terms of figuring out because it has to be authentic and it has to be very action oriented. It can't just be all about, you know, image. And that's something that that does get the backlash. It really has to be something that people feel is very tangible and will make a difference. Just jumping off from that, I mean, one of the things that we've seen in the GFK data is that some consumers want brands to go back to pre-COVID messaging. They want them to go back to the themes that were familiar before anything went wrong, and they want to forget that COVID ever happened. And then on the flip side, there's an even greater, slightly greater proportion of consumers who say that it's a whole new world and brands need to recognize that. We can't pretend that nothing happened. Jack, what do you see in terms of you know, brands being careful about their messaging and falling in one of those two camps? Um. I would say in general that the, the, the wave of, of COVID messaging has crested and brands are focusing a lot more on the stuff that they normally do. Strangely enough, even though there was a lot of publicity and a lot of you know cynicism in social media about the COVID advertising, what I've seen from some tracking research would suggest that generally the COVID advertising was received pretty well through April into May. And as, as there's been less of it, or as people have gotten sick of it, then general favorability toward new ads has has gone back to about year ago levels. So people did respond basically to the COVID messaging. It worked for people even as, as repetitive as it may have been. Yeah, I, I think another piece to that though is, and it comes back to the level of authenticity. If a brand has credibility and is relevant to a message that's around COVID, or for that matter now to, uh, to Black Lives Matter, then they're in a position to talk from, let's say, greater authority and will be recognized from, for, for doing that. You know, Ben and Jerry's coming out today is not a surprise. They've been speaking out about uh, inequality and, and racial justice uh, and, and so so that is part and parcel with what you're doing. I mean, uh, I saw recently listening to a talk with the CMO of a big worldwide soda company who showed us uh, an ad which bothered me profoundly because it seemed so self-serving. It was a beautiful ad. It was very emotional. You know, it clearly tugged at those heartstrings. And and at the same time, I was looking at it, so what do you bring to the party on COVID? What is it that you you know, how are you going to help me? How are you going to reduce my level of anxiety? You've now made me very emotional. Thank you. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not getting now that link, you know, whereas I've seen some, some other advertising from say Procter and Gamble in particular, and there, there are others who have done some, some amazing pieces of copy that talk about how they are in fact stepping up with different uh, types of consumers. So whether it's Estados Unidos de America from Procter and Gamble or, or things like that, uh, these are, you know, amazing pieces of copy that show the level of responsibility that uh, the organization is trying to bring. And I just wanted to jump from that because I come back still to brand versus company. 
and there's brand purpose. And so is a brand relevant and can they talk, you know, uh, authoritatively about something or at least credibly? And then you've got companies. And so the example I just mentioned of Procter & Gamble, this is where Procter has kind of stepped up and talked about more and more about, you know, on a company-wide basis, what are they doing? This is not new to Procter. They've been on this for the last, uh, you know, five, 10 years. Now they're doing it in a way where they have said, we want to be a force for good. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, one thing that's clear from the research I've seen is that in general, people do tend to think it as a kind of a baseline reaction that it's somewhat exploitative for companies to advertise on either the pandemic or the race issues. However, the antidote to that is saying something specific about what you are doing positively, and that tends to overcome it. If you just have a feel-good message with no specific action attributed to your brand or your company, you are unlikely to get away with that with people, which, you know, I think it's probably a testament to consumers being pretty smart. Yeah, that is the one thing that the two issues kind of have in common is that people are expecting really specific answers, really specific action items. Everyone kind of knows all the information that's out there and really is going to ask the hard questions. So you have to be prepared for a lot of specifics. And I do think also there are things you can do beyond advertising. And because these issues, whether it's a health crisis, whether it's an injustice crisis, affect so many aspects of society, there are always a lot of interesting ways that you can kind of make a difference. So it's a number of companies now that have in the last couple of days pause their Facebook ads. I think like Patagonia, REI, a number of other brands, they want to bring attention more publicly to the role that Facebook might have in, in you know, certain misinformation or things related to inequality. So the things that they can do with specific actions that can then start better conversations, make people take things more seriously, is not just limited to products and advertising. There's now so much more that can be done. The same way I, as an individual, can do so many things in my own life. You know, I, there's an interesting aspect to this, which is, so there are the minefields, right? And we saw, for example, when uh, Starbucks started the Race Together campaign a few years back, which you know, everybody sort of wondered, why is Starbucks doing this? Uh, and obviously, their CEO uh, at the time was, was sort of building perhaps a political platform. But I agree with you, uh, Rachel, today, there's actually something that's very, very exciting, I think, to all of us working within a marketing and advertising uh, realm and then tracking what's going on with that, which is brands actually can make a difference if they're in the right place again, you know, and if they can actually bring something positive to people. And that's not just about the consumers. It also is about the people that are building those brands, making those brands, advertising, marketing those brands. It is exciting and it shows people I'm not there just, you know, I'm going to make a hundred thousand, uh, you know, tubes of toothpaste tomorrow and I'm done. No, I'm participating in something that is for, again, something that is much greater than the brand, the company. And that's actually very exciting. Yeah. I mean, one of the other escalating trends we saw in the last few years is that people care so much more about how a brand operates. Like it's not just the products and how you feel about them and the products, individual values, but we saw, you know, People are trusting brands because of the way they treat their workers, because of the quality of their products, because of how, you know, how fairly they pay people and, you know, consider worker safety. Like those kind of factors have been rising quite a bit in the last few years, even before all of this. Yeah, you do. I mean, you see a lot of that. And I was surprised at some of the early research, too, in terms of what people said they wanted from brands and advertising during the pandemic. One of the top issues consistently has been indication of how they treat their employees. and. Yeah made a big deal. I mean, uh, 
Amazon was one brand that was hurt by that early on. There were a number of cases where there were accusations by employees that things were not safe in their warehouses. And, you know, they fired some of those employees for disparaging the company, but they did also pivot to spend $4 billion on their supply chain in part to improve safety. And then almost all of their communication in the past eight to 10 weeks has been on an issue of either employee safety or employee satisfaction. And, you know, also, the, the employee complaints have ceased, to my knowledge, and so it suggests that they've taken action. And so it's been a rather rapid turnaround for them, and but also an, an indication of how important it is. Yeah. Interesting question just came in. Do you believe we're experiencing the demise of emotional branding in favor of more action-oriented branding? Is this momentary or a more permanent amendment in strategic approach? A brand that is not trying somehow to reach somebody on an emotional level is already a bygone brand. And I fundamentally believe in that. Uh, if all you're about is a number of attributes, brand will you know, deliver in terms of efficacy in whatever domain it is, that's great. And so that means that perhaps people can rely on that brand for doing that. But why do I care as a consumer? Why, when, when there are so many other brands that are actually saying things that touch me, in a way that's so much more uh, emotional. And, and so, I no, I think on the contrary, for companies to understand what their brands are about, to really move forward what that brand purpose is all about and being able to tell the story so that on the contrary, they can, they can talk on a far more emotional basis. Nobody buys brands for rational reasons. They buy it purely for emotional reasons. And so those are decisions made in split seconds. So if you're not talking to them on that level, you're gone. Yeah, there has to be an emotion behind the action, right? Yeah, I do. Th I do think that. Um, I mean, there's no way you're ever going to get past the the fact that people make decisions on on emotional bases more than rational ones. But I do think that the sheer deluge of more emotional appeals that people have been seeing of late may have made them more sensitive to being manipulated emotionally and wanting to make sure that what you are saying is backed up by actions. And so. I don't have any, you know, statistical evidence of it, but um, I do wonder if, if folks have become a little bit more sensitized to being emotionally manipulated by advertising. I think there's a difference between when you're in a crisis situation and people are looking for help and support in a very real and necessary way at the moment and really providing answers to what you're doing that will help them get through this time period. And then when we get back to a more normal type of, of situation again, because right now, you know, and certainly during COVID and, and what you said, Jack, related to Amazon and, and employee behaviors, that was really, really important to people, many of whom themselves were in this position of having to go out as essential workers and, and have things that might be felt as, as risking their own safety to do their job and to support an employer. And so really very tangible things that employers were doing or that companies that helped sanitize things were doing was very necessary and much more valuable than hearing that companies cared. When you get to a later point and, and really to what Mark was saying, you know, you have to fire on something that connects with people from more than just a very top line functional perspective. You've really got to build that brand purpose and, and emotional layer as well. 
And you've, you've seen, I mean, you, you see on a local level just banners about our, our employees or heroes or, or signs like that. But you've also seen some ads that are very much geared toward, you know, we're painting our employees as heroes at this time. And every indication I've seen is that that advertising works a whole lot better if you also point out what you're doing to make your employees' lives better, more safer. And if you don't, it's not going to travel nearly as well for you. Yeah, I mean, look at what's happening with Amazon right now. You know, one thing is, boy, I can depend on you because you're going to send me the essential items I need within a certain specified time. Uh, and the other thing is, how are you treating your employees? And then take that to the broader racial inequality uh, issue uh, when you see that uh, the Amazon board is basically, you know, no one uh, is of African-American uh, descent there. None. And, and so you have to wonder, so, so where are you hearing what it is that you should be doing. And I, by the way, one of the silver linings, if you like, of this awful crisis that we're going through, all of the crises is, and I, and I see this with my students, to them, it's, it's a, it's a moment to take a pause. And, you know, it's not like they have a choice, uh, who's going to offer a job right now or an internship. And so it's a time to say, okay, forget the rat race for a second. And let me look more critically about what is valuable to me. What are my values? And what do I expect now from, from life and from companies and from brands and from my, you know, government, et cetera. And so when they're looking now at the companies they're going to work for, you know, to try to match the values that they've now been thinking about uh, with what's going on in that company are critical. So what companies are doing and saying today is, you know, even if hopefully we're all past all of this stuff soon, you know, what, what companies are doing and saying now are critically important because, you know, we, we are forming uh, tomorrow's leaders and these leaders are saying, you know, the way it's been done until now is not right. And it does come down to what stance are you taking as a company? What are your values? You know, what, uh, and then how are you, making that come to bear uh, in the brands that you're pushing and how are you pushing them? Yeah, I do think there's a lot of brand equity being built right now that's going to last for a long time. It's a very memorable time. And, you know, the impressions that you make right now are going to last a lot longer probably than ones that you've made at any other time. Yeah, people will not forget. And, and those young people are really the ones who've had their situations disrupted quite a bit compared to other generations. I mean, when you look at the employment trends, we, we asked a question in, in our latest survey about people who had to move during the crisis due to something COVID related. And you see almost a third of people under 35 having some sort of moving event have it happening. And so if they're not working, if they've had to relocate, they've really have more time and, and the ability in, in this pause moment to have scrutiny and also to have brands who can help them out in the situation, whether it's offering, um, I saw during the early parts of COVID, I believe it was Enterprise, that lowered the age of allowing people to rent a car from 25 down to 18 so that students could get home from colleges afterwards. So, I mean, little things like that, as you said, are really the opportunities to build the longer term loyalty. Well, and, and think about the impact of either all of a sudden being alone, where you may not have made some brand decisions on your own before, or now you're living with somebody else, you've gone back with your parents, you've gone back, and now you have an influence on those brand decisions. And so this crisis is having a huge impact on this, where now there's a discussion about some of these brands that, uh, that perhaps didn't exist. Yeah. 
we also just have the sheer, I mean, the the practicalities of, of shopping during the pandemic. I mean, the sheer number of out-of-stocks in various categories and difficulty in finding things. People have been trying products, categories, brands that they've never tried before. They're eating at home more. They're buying stuff they never did before. There are a lot of brands being tried for the first time that are, you know, going to see some long-term gains from that or long-term losses, I guess, if they're if people aren't satisfied. But it, it's a watershed moment for a lot of brands in a lot of ways. One thing uh, that was raised earlier was the idea of differences in terms of generations. And if we think about, you know, whether people want to move forward and, you know, forget that this ever happened and they want messages that return to pre-COVID or that they want new messages for a new world, I mean, do we see some breaks there in terms of different generations or different regions, anything in the data or anything that you're seeing in the marketplace that really shows some clear differentiations along those lines? From the data perspective, we really didn't see so much by generations as we did by life stage. So we saw a lot of parents of young children wanting to move on to start talking about some other things. And maybe it's because the situation has been frightening for their children or frightening for their households that they want to change the the, the conversation. Not so much by generations, you know, a little bit by gender as well. But um, it was interesting to see the parents um, wanting to, to think about something a little bit different. What I've seen is there's an opportunity in how brands, again, it comes back to the underlying brand purpose, but how they can provide value. And younger consumers are, are, are more attuned to what some of these brands are saying and how they're providing value to their lives. And what that's creating is an opportunity, frankly, for higher price points, which perhaps older consumers are like, eh, no. I've been paying this for so many years. Why should I pay more just because you said something uh, smart about COVID? You know, think about the uh, the service for alcoholic uh, beverages, uh, Drizzly. And what they're basically saying is, interestingly, as people have moved from uh, the, the off-premise, uh, some on-premise to off-premise, all of a sudden they're not spending necessarily less. If they've been used to you know, spending for uh, a nice wine at such a price point in a bar, now all of a sudden are they going to go to, you know, uh, half of that price point or, or less just because it's coming from the store? Not necessarily. And so all of a sudden you can see uh, value having been created. Uh, and and will some of that go away when we when we go to a new normal? Yes, certainly, but it's not going to go back to where it was. I think you'll see, yeah, a lot of that with other sorts of online behaviors, like maybe online grocery shopping, a lot of people who weren't doing that, you know, some will go back to normal, but some will continue to adopt that. So a lot of those kind of channel behaviors and and shopping behaviors probably uh, will stick for some people that may not have before. Yeah, and, and by the way, keep in mind that this whole online thing is is in a certain way propping up the smaller independent uh, local businesses that you know are not in wide distribution in brick and mortar necessarily. So it is creating opportunities today, that's for sure. Yeah, this seems like this time has really raised the kind of importance and consciousness of small businesses and independent businesses as well, as people kind of are limited to their immediate communities and are more aware of their struggles. So that's another thing that might come out of this, I think. 
And I think a lot of the small distributors now have gone direct to consumer out of necessity. So certainly, you know, the benefit of living in the New York City areas, you have a lot of, of the suppliers of restaurants who are now supplying direct to consumer and, and making deliveries in local areas and neighborhoods. And I don't know if that model will continue afterwards, if it will be you know lucrative enough for them once they have their big accounts open again. But it certainly has been a boon to consumers and it will make it harder for them to go back to not having access to such great stuff. Yeah, there, there is just so much that's changed because uh, the, the whole idea prior to the pandemic was that direct-to-consumer brands had to go omnichannel, had to have some kind of physical store to move forward. And now that's, you know, entirely turned on its head. It's, and, you know, there are just so many aspects that are hard to predict in terms of consumer behavior going forward, depending on how things actually turn out. I mean, there's so many categories, consumer categories that people aren't spending money on that they used to, such as travel, sports, movies dining out for the most part. So they have extra money to spend on other things in consumer goods and delivery. Going forward, you don't know exactly what's going to happen depending on what happens with economic rebound, stimulus payments, enhanced unemployment benefits, and that could fall off a cliff very quickly. And suddenly, I mean, we've had very little price sensitivity that that you would normally see when you have double-digit unemployment rates that could change very quickly depending on how things go, you know, starting in August, honestly. And so the degree of unpredictability is is extreme. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. I mean, this has been a great discussion and I know we could continue, but I wanted to just acknowledge it. We're very grateful that our audience took the time today to join us and uh, to Jack and Mark for contributing to the discussion, which has really been great. And we would love to have you come back. Thank you again for this great discussion. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.